I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 7. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a content creator, developer, project manager, and a certified Contentful professional. Today, I'm having a conversation with Johan Lee, a senior developer at Collegial, all about React.js and how developers can use it to speed up their front-end development. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Joanne, welcome to the podcast. All right, Marcelo, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. So why don't you tell us where you're located? Because you're definitely not in the U.S. Yes, I'm located in Sweden, Europe. Yeah, and we're looking at what, uh, 11 hour difference, something like that? Yeah, 10 hour difference. Is it 10? Yep, yep. Yeah, you're telling me good evening, I'm telling you hello. That's right, that's the power of the internet, right? I love it. Exactly. Yeah, and another thing, because I want everybody to know your correct pronunciation of your name, because I know I didn't correctly say it, so why don't you say it the way you guys say it? It would be Johan Lee. There we go. That's what Swedes would say. Yes, I think I'm going to have to, if you're okay with that, stick with Johan, because I don't think I can pronounce it that way. (laughs) Yeah, go for that. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Better pronunciation. Thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about React.js. And before we even jump into that, why don't you start by just giving us a bit about your background? How did you become a web developer? And how did you get into React? Well, that's interesting, because my atypical background had a lot to do with why I became a developer. I have Chinese parents, but we immigrated to Europe. Sweden at a young age. I went to an international school, but switched an ordinary one after a couple of years. And my new classmates were all upper class Swedes, very far from who I was. So instead of trying to fit in, I spent a lot of time in front of computers, in public libraries, playing video games, but also programming. And when it comes to my professional career, it all started when I was studying in college. During recess, one of many I noticed something on a bulletin board. It was an Uncle Sam poster saying that a developer is wanted. And it turns out the military academy nearby, there was a book publisher that had their office there and they needed someone to help them create campaign sites and to get their e-commerce up and running. So that was my how I became an adult, basically. My first job. That's interesting. Do you remember what framework or tech stack you were working with at that time? Oh, I think that was very PHP-ish. And I think we weren't actually using a framework back then yet. I think the sites that we created were so simple that a framework wasn't really required. It's interesting because I interview a lot of people and a lot of developers' first jobs was always with PHP. So it's interesting how PHP is not as popular today as it used to be. Yeah, and I think it's kind of also a way to reveal someone's age as well, right? Because someone who is much, much younger than I am probably hasn't worked with PHP, right? PHP is kind of almost a thing of the past, where JavaScript has kind of taken over. Well, then I shouldn't tell you what I worked with when I first started with web development, because it was literally at the beginning of web development. Was that COBOL or something? Or uh, well, that's well, not well, no, 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 come on, I'm not that old. But <laughs> it was using CGI with Perl. So this is way at the beginning. This is before anything was around. So you would 
do basic via CGI or a pearl. Yeah. Yeah. Way at the beginning. So this is like in the late nineties. So fun times back then. It wasn't as complicated as it is today. No. But anyway, cool. Well, why don't we jump in and start talking about React? Tell us, how did you get into React? Because you were doing, like you said, you were doing PHP, right? What attracted you to React? Well, React was something that I started with a bit later in my career. And I think I was drawn to it, and I'm being really honest here, I think it was due to all the hype surrounding React. And recently then, I had just worked on the, an Angular code base and was given the opportunity to pick the tech stack for the next project. And after some research, what stood out to me about React was its simplicity. It just felt like a breath of fresh air. And I also suspect that I was a, a bit more of a Magpie developer back then. So React looked shiny, so that's why... I picked React. That makes sense. Yep. What do they call FOMO? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Why not? I'm like that too. I like the shiny new things all the time. So let's jump into React and let's start with the basics. What is React? We have frameworks and we have libraries, right? Can you explain the difference between what a framework is and what a library is and then tell us about React and which one is React? This is an interesting question. And it's a question that's puzzled me actually, because if you look at both a framework and a library, they're both tools. They are code that you bring in. And to me, a library is something that's plug and play. While frameworks, they kind of leave a larger imprint on your code. And another difference is that for libraries, your code calls a library. While for frameworks, the inverse happens. So when it comes to React, then I think you could consider React as both depending on how you use it. But I would personally call it a framework because often when you say React, you're referring to the whole ecosystem surrounding it and all the tools that often go hand in hand with React. But Facebook, however, they are very keen on calling React a library. And while this is true in a strict sense, you can argue that Facebook does this to help ease adoption, to not scare people away. Because calling it a library implies you can easily add it to an existing code base which you certainly can with React. So when people talk about a framework being opinionated, is it opinionated? And explain what that means too. I think the best way to explain this would be to compare React with two other very popular frameworks that solve the same core problems, Vue and Angular. And the difference between these three frameworks is in their opinionatedness, where React is the least opinionated, Vue is a bit more opinionated and Angular is the most opinionated. And what that means in practice is when you first use this framework, how much structure do you get out of the box? How many decisions do you have to make? And how many external libraries do you have to pull in to accomplish something that's not trivial? So it's kind of all about how much the framework decides things for you. So you mentioned other frameworks, and specifically you mentioned Angular and Vue. Why would we want to choose React over those other two? Because, you know, I mean, there's fans of all of them and everybody will fight for their own. So what's your take on all three and why React over the others? Well, this is a very sensitive question. I mean, this is a question that if you answer it, there's a huge risk that we're going to start a religious war. A religious war, yeah, of course, right? Windows versus Mac. Yeah. Let's start it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I really just think it's all about how opinionated each and every framework is, where React is the least opinionated. So if you're someone who likes to make more decisions yourself, you're probably going to like React more 
but for me personally, the only reason I like React more is because I'm more familiar with it. So I think if you're trying to decide over which framework to use, look at the ones that you're the most familiar with and the ones that your colleagues feel the most comfortable with, because they all solve the same core issues. So don't overthink this decision too much. Is there one that's more popular than others? For example, let's say you're starting out and you're a developer that is looking to get a job, right? Is there one that is a bit more popular than others to be able to get that job? Or are they all pretty much used about the same amount in the workforce? I would say definitely React is more popular, particularly if you look at Google Trends, how often people search for React versus Angular or Vue. And if you look at NPM downloads, so I would think React is more popular, but which framework is used also depends on job sectors and industries where I think more enterprise industries lean towards Angular a bit more than React, for instance. I know from React's perspective, they have a bigger ecosystem where they offered React Native, which is for creating mobile apps, right? And then React VR, which allows you to create virtual reality experience, I believe, the Oculus Quest, their entire front end, and I could be mistaken here, but their entire front end inside of virtual reality is through React VR. So if you're looking at more of a bigger ecosystem, perhaps React is the way to go too. Oh, exactly. And the way it usually works is one of these frameworks expands their ecosystem. And if that expansion works really well and people really like what they're seeing, you're seeing the same expansions in the other frameworks as well. Yep, definitely. So if somebody is going to get into React development, what's the minimum knowledge that a web developer needs to have to start learning React? So while React is hard to master, it's actually very easy to get started with React. You don't really need a whole lot of minimum knowledge, especially if you already have some experience with web development in general. But what I think is really good to have a solid understanding of, though, and before you jump into React, is all the newer syntax in JavaScript. So how arrow functions work, template literals, destructuring, the spread syntax, promises, callbacks, and also the map and filter methods of arrays. These are things that are really good to know before you jump into React. So having a solid understanding of JavaScript and ES6, I'm assuming, would be something that is almost a prerequisite. Exactly. And I don't even know if it's correct to call it newer syntax now, since it's been out there for a while now. What about TypeScript? Do people need to know TypeScript and does React support TypeScript? People definitely don't need to know TypeScript to start with React. And if you're starting with React, I don't think you need to pull in TypeScript because it'll you know add a distraction for you. But the support for TypeScript is fantastic. So nowadays when I develop in React, I almost always just use TypeScript. So things are looking really good when it comes to TypeScript support. Cool. So we've been talking very cool stuff about React. What are some of the challenges of it? All right. So we talked about React and how it is the least opinionated out of compared to the other two popular frameworks. And the unopinionatedness is actually the challenge it's both the fun part of React, but also a great challenge with React. Because what happens is, as your app grows, as you add more developers, more lines of code, the complexity and the messiness of a React app probably grows steeper compared to a more opinionated framework. And more so if you lack good communication and leadership and don't have enough experienced developers who are keen on managing that complexity, right? Because a framework that's unopinionated means that people's different preferences are going to affect how they code things. So soon enough, you're not going to get a 
code base that looks very coherent. Which that means it converts to maintenance being poor, right? So if I jump into your code, of course your code will be perfect. But if I jump into your code, you may have a different way of formatting or, or following. You'll have your own opinions of how to do it versus how I do it, right? And it won't be as easy as if you jump into a more opinionated framework that you know exactly how things are going to be laid out. Exactly, exactly. Perfect. And you can usually see this when you look at the React code bases between different companies and even inside of different departments, they can look quite different from each other. And the fact that developers switch jobs so often certainly doesn't help this because you get in new developers to have a new way of coding stuff in React. So yeah, it's challenging. Yep, definitely. And to be honest, that happens in a lot of different kinds of frameworks and languages, right? Where the less opinionated it is, the harder it is to maintain, not just React. Yep. So let's continue on with sort of the basics, but let's talk about isomorphic apps. What are those and why is that pertinent to React? Well, so an isomorphic app is an app that server-side renders. So we have to understand what server-side rendering is, right? So if you look at a website that isn't an application, a website that doesn't use React, when you visit a page, their server will send you all the HTML for the page that you're requesting. But for a React app, the server only sends a tiny portion of all the HTML. You'll essentially just see an empty div element. And only once the JavaScript bundle containing your React app is loaded and executed, that's when the empty div element is filled with the missing HTML. And the drawback with this is that the initial loading time is going to be higher because you're not getting all the HTML straight away. And while it's very challenging, a way to solve this is to set things up in a way so your server, your backend, also understands your React app so that it can run the code of your app to generate that initial HTML, depending on the page you're requesting. But you have to carefully consider if this additional complexity is worth it. And something I believe the React team at Facebook is working on right now is making server-side rendering less challenging. And in this context, it's also worth mentioning a framework called Next.js, which is built on top of React, which enables server-side rendering out of the box. So is this something that you would have to call or add? You said it's a framework, right? So how would you implement Next on top of React? So the way Next works is you continue writing your app using React components, but you have to follow some of their conventions to get it working. So you're still working in React. I see, but that provides that server-side rendering that you were just mentioning. Exactly, yes. Well, you just mentioned components. Can you explain what React components are and talk about their life cycle? Right. So components are the building blocks of a React application, and you define them either as a class or as a function. And the main difference is that for class components, you have more control over their behavior in the form of class components letting you attach methods that are run during different stages of the component's lifecycle. And three of the most common methods are the constructor, the render method, and the component did mount method. So the constructor would be used for initializing state, while the render is used to describe the output. And component did mount can be used if you want to for instance, pull data from an API. I see. Are there any other methods that are available as well? Yeah, there are also other methods. Some aren't as used as often as others, but one that's good to know about is component 
did update. So this is a method that's not called during the first render, but it can be used, for instance, to fetch new pages. So on the initial render, you've loaded page one, and now the user browses to page two, and component did update will trigger. And then you compare, is the current page being shown? Or the, have I loaded this new page or not? If I haven't, you request the API for the contents of this new page. That'd be another method. Now you mentioned state. Why don't we talk a little bit about state and React? What is that specifically? And then maybe you can expand on the difference between stateless and stateful components. So apps, as opposed to a static web page, one of the most important parts for apps is that they need to keep track of state. Because in a classic web page, you would just browse to a different URL to see something different. But apps need to keep a track of state to determine what to show you, to keep track of whether or not you've loaded something, and to keep track of what data an API has given you. And state in React is expressed in the form of an object. So you can imagine that object having a user property. It could have a products property. It could have a loading property that's set to true or false. So within those properties, you would have the actual data, the state of where they're at at this point. Exactly. And depending on that state, React shows you something different. Right. So explain that difference between stateless and stateful components. So something we've established about React is that it's not opinionated. So a challenge becomes, how do we structure our components? How do we organize them? And one way is by dividing components into two categories. You have stateless ones, the so-called dumb components, and stateful ones, the so-called smarter components. Stateless components being presentational, while stateful ones including logic. So a real-world example would be, imagine a simplistic chat application. You have a wrapper, the main div, and that's a stateful component. It listens to all the incoming messages, and it has a handler for sending a new message. And these things all affect the state, right? You would store all the messages in an array. But this stateful component, in turn, it renders a stateless component for each and every message. That makes a lot of sense. So you've been talking a lot about APIs. Let's talk about a little bit about the kind of support that React offers for APIs. And then let's jump in also into GraphQL, because that's pretty closely tied to React, right? Facebook created both of these. So maybe you can touch upon that. So let's start with APIs first. And what does React offer for consuming APIs? And then jump into the relationship between React and GraphQL. All right. So to request APIs, you just use regular JavaScript in React. You use either the fetched API, which browsers provide natively, or you often use a library like Axios, which wraps the fetch API. And when it comes to React and GraphQL, I mean, as you just said, they were both created inside of Facebook and later open sourced. And what's happened there is that due to the popularity of React, it's kind of acted as a gateway to GraphQL. But the part about GraphQL is, I think if you're starting out with React, I would advise against pulling in GraphQL at the same time. You probably have to get comfortable with React first. And what's also challenging about GraphQL is there's a tendency of people not understanding all the trade-offs there. Because the reason why Facebook created GraphQL is because of the scale that they're operating at, the amount of mobile users that they have, and the geographical distribution of those users. A lot of countries where there's poor internet connection. 
And that's the core problem that GraphQL solves, which is that for REST APIs, there's a tendency to overfetch data. Clients can't be as flexible in telling the server what they want. But if you don't have the same problems, you should really consider whether or not you should pull in GraphQL. Very cool. So there's something called JSX. Can you explain what that is? One thing that React adds on top of JavaScript is JSX, an extension to JavaScript. And it's simply a way of putting HTML inside of JavaScript. Because normally, you'd have to express HTML as strings in JavaScript. But with JSX, you express divs, image tags, and buttons inside of JSX instead. And not only that, you can also express what happens when you click on an element. And of course, you can also express a React component inside JSX. So an example of JSX is, here's a div, and inside that div, I have a a chat component or a user component. I see. So use JSX to create components. Exactly. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But ultimately, that is that all transcoded into just JavaScript? Yep. So often when you, you're using React, you also use Babel to transpile that all that modern JavaScript into JavaScript that even older browsers can understand. And JSX is also handled there as part of the same process. I see. So let's talk about the DOM and explain, first of all, what is the DOM? And then there's this concept of the real DOM, quote unquote, versus the virtual DOM. So when you visit a website, you get a lot of HTML back. And the way a website is displayed is expressed using that HTML uh, together with CSS, of course. And what happens in the background is that browsers create an object to represent that HTML called the document object model. And browsers also provide you JavaScript methods to change this model, change the HTML. And web apps, by their nature, they need to perform a lot of changes to the HTML. And making a ton of changes is costly. Your app won't feel as snappy. So what React does is that it has internal code as part of the framework that figures out how to make those changes efficiently. And the step where it figures that out is done in the so-called virtual DOM. And once it figures out uh, the efficient change, that's when the change is applied for real on the real DOM. So does that imply that React has to keep up with the actual DOM, any changes to it? Is it ever out of sync with the real DOM? It can be out of sync with the real DOM. So that's when, when you develop in React that you're very careful about making sure that React owns all the HTML that it renders on. So you don't manipulate React elements outside of your React code. You don't have JavaScript outside of your React application that makes modifications to your React app. I see. That makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about events in React. What are events? Explain how they work. Events in React, they're a wrapper around native events in the browser, such as the click events or the keyboard events. And the reason React does this is because in the older days of web development, you had to write a lot of code that finds an element based on a selector and attach event listeners. But the way events work in React, you simply just, in JSX, attach handlers to elements directly without having to write code to find them. I see. And these handlers would be depending on what happens to these elements? Exactly. So one handler could be for an on-click event 
for instance. I see. Or if you change a field value, that could be another handler. Exactly. Got it. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to touch upon another concept of Redux. Can you explain what that is? We've mentioned React, we've mentioned state. And Redux is a library for managing state. Because what happens is, as your React app grows in size and you add more and more components, a challenge you'll run into is that you'll feel like you have to pass a lot of state and handlers between different components. And sometimes to components that are very, very far away from each other. So Redux is a library that can solve a problem like this. And Redux essentially has you move away state, particularly state that's shared between multiple components to a central place outside of your components. Your state is in a single large object. And in addition to that, you create a set of rules to enforce how that state is changed. And your components in turn observe changes to this large objects. And one thing to emphasize here is also to not start out with Redux or any other library for managing state if you're trying to learn React. And the creator of Redux himself, Dan Abramov, who now works for Facebook and is a highly respected figure among developers, has himself said, you know, guys, if you're not sure whether you need Redux, you don't need Redux. Because uh, he was getting a lot of criticism by beginners who were saying that React was overcomplicated, and that was because they pulled in Redux without actually needing it. So you have to be careful here. It sounds like the React ecosystem is made up of a lot of things you've got to learn, right? So start out small, meaning just concentrate on the React framework itself and then build yourself up to the others, correct? Exactly. It's a large ecosystem, but don't be alarmed by how large the ecosystem is. Start out with just React, do your things there, and only once you run into issues, when you see that there's some awkwardness in how you're coding things, that's when you look for these libraries that can help you solve these problems. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have one final question before we finish our conversation here is, what is a React Router? React Router is another library because React, out of the box, it includes no functionality for rendering something based on what goes on in your address bar. <laughs> for instance, if you're visiting slash admin, you want to see the admin interface. If you're visiting slash user slash Marcelo, I want to see your profile, right? And to get this functionality, there's a library called React Router. And it also handles the case when you want navigation links to appear differently based on what page you're on. And it also provides you tooling to handle history. What happens when you press the back button and the forward button? I see. That makes a lot of sense. Wasn't that traditionally like with server side, a lot of the routing was handled on the server side? Is this similar to that, where with the web server itself, you're handling all the routing? Precisely, yes. So React Router is doing things that the web server used to do back then, in the old days. In the old days. <laughs> exactly. Here we go again. I know, here we go again. See, and this is how we ended. We started with the old days and full circle come back to the old days. I love this. Yeah. All right, Johan. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time. I do want to thank you for being on the podcast and for sharing all your knowledge. I think this is a great introduction to React and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value of all the information you provided. So thank you so much. All right, thanks for having me and 
have fun out there with React. It's a really fun framework to work in. Definitely. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to give them your Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you like? Yes. So you can visit my website. I write some articles. The website is johan.lee. And we'll post it on the show notes as well. Cool. Thank you. All right, Johan, thank you so much. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Oh,